Well, when we were talking the other day, you also mentioned a tremendously transforming moment in your life, uh, secondary to this one, when you became a father. What was it like stepping into fatherhood and recognizing a new role? I remember the moment when you realized, I am responsible now for this little life. And uh, on top of that, um, you and Britt were moving in this direction to Southern Western University. What were the moments that mattered? What were the transformational moments there as you embraced fatherhood? There were several. Britt lost a pregnancy the year before Catherine was born, and that was the darkest summer for me of our marriage. I did not know how to be a good husband in that season. And so that was incredibly humbling and just mortifying to me, heartbreaking and still it's a moment that has been redeemed with the daughter God has given us, but man, that was a dark season. And so that was, the humbling ground I was walking on when Britt got pregnant in 2016. God really worked in my life that summer. I was a part of the best discipleship group I'd ever been a part of as a believer. And so really prepared my heart, loosed me from some sins, got my feet on solid ground in terms of my own faith, so that I was ready to be the husband and father I needed to be. Britt went into labor six weeks early. And so our daughter was born and had to be in an ICU for two weeks. And so Britt and I were sort of in this purgatory period. And even then, God, God was being kind to us and giving us a sort of trial run as we got used to being parents. Here's the thing. It was not hard for me to become a dad. Like people ask me what being a dad was like. And I was like, I must have always been a dad because I don't feel any different. And maybe that's because I'm a teacher and always sort of saw my students as my kids. That wasn't hard. The really hard thing was being a husband after I became a father. And I thought that constantly making deposits into the account of my fatherhood would be credit in my husband account. And that's not really the way it works, that you can't keep drawing on the relationship with your wife, putting it over into your relationship with your child, and then expecting her to be fine with it when there's nothing left in your account with her, simply because the account with your child runs over. And man, I learned that in the first year. And so in the summer, my wife and I are both teachers in the summer after Catherine was born. So she wasn't even one years old yet. Britt just laid it on the line with me and told me like, you need to put being a husband before being a professor for certain. 
and you need to put being a husband on level with, not below, or not above, but on level with being a father. Those two things have to be the same and put the fear of God into me. And that was the most important summer of my marriage. I scaled my teaching efforts way back. And as if to say, I told you so, God saw fit to have me win the Excellence in Teaching Award for my university in the year where I comparatively spent way less time at the university and way more time with my child and wife. And then Britt got a brand new job up here at Southern Wesleyan, and for a year I was apart from my daughter and my wife, and that was a real strain on our relationship. I don't know what it would have been like had God not gotten a hold of me through my wife the previous summer and sort of prepared my heart for that season of separation. And now that we're back together again, it is a true blessing. And my wife and my daughter are God's, God's gifts. Every single day they draw me closer to God. Wow. I um, have to confess, I didn't know that there was a, uh a lost pregnancy before Catherine. Something else you and I hold in common um, before our second daughter was born, we walked through that same very dark summer. For those, I, I think of Henry David Thoreau one time wrote that men lead lives of silent desperation. And if that was ever more true, I think it was during those months of silent desperation. What what would you say to someone who has walked through the same loss of a pregnancy uh, or may one day? What would 2021, Jonathan, say to yourself and to Britt back then, having been on this side of that loss? Mm-hmm. Here's sort of the backstory. So Britt saw that she was pregnant. That was 2014. And We wanted to tell our families and we waited and we were going to get to see my parents and her parents on Easter. And so I said, let's, let's share with them. Now we hadn't seen an ultrasound or really had a good health report of the pregnancy, but I talked Brit into sharing with both of them that same week. Like, not five days later, we went to the doctor and something was wrong. And that was the end of the pregnancy. So we had just told both sets of our parents that she was pregnant. And now we had to go back to them and say that she lost the pregnancy. That specific circumstance was good in that it made me shut my mouth. What was I going to say? Like, I had made it that much harder for Britt because she, it would have been one thing if we had to negotiate that on our own. But now I had convinced her to share it with our parents, and now it was that much more stressful, anxiety-ridden. So no matter what, I would tell 2014 Jonathan to keep his mouth shut, shut your mouth, listen. And then the second thing is that 
if Britt and I have a bad day, which is more than likely my bad day, and I look at Britt through jaundiced eyes, all that needs to happen is God needs to remind me what 2014 was like, and I realize how far both of us have come in our relationship to each other and most importantly in our relationship to him. And so, again, it would be uh, an encouragement to wait because five years from now, six years from now, God will have moved you so far. The bad moment in 2020, which was a dark time for a lot of people, were like, Spiritually, nothing compared to what happened in 2014. And God was very, very good to us in that season. Yeah, I don't think the world, I don't think the church even is really adequately skilled in dealing with the loss of life that's not here yet. I don't know that the Christian world is really good in in walking through one another because in one way it's a very private struggle in another, it's um, one that you'd like to have support in, in some way, shape, or form. Well, you talk about being a better husband, a better father. What are some practical ways that you have ensured that you've put in your schedule or you've put in your uh, yearly planner to make sure you're maintaining those key moments as a husband or as a father? I write and send my wife a prayer every day. So more than just saying I'm praying for you or praying for her and not letting her know, I send her a prayer every day. The summer she was pregnant with Catherine, we started praying with each other before we went to bed every night. And we've kept doing that. I mean, it's just, I'm ashamed that I hadn't made that a thing before 2015, but I hadn't. And I felt convicted about it. And it's a thing now. And hopefully we'll continue to be one. With my daughter, we try to encourage gratitude for the good things God has done. So in 2021 specifically, At the end of the day, I've been in a notebook, dividing a page in half, drawing a picture of something I'm thankful for from that day, and then my daughter does the same thing with the other half of the page. And the things that my daughter notices and is grateful for is a gift from God to me. We try to, at the end of the day, if she's in bed, Just go through all the things she has to be thankful for. And, of course, we end up being grateful for those things, too. And then, finally, music is a big deal in our house. And I I nearly started crying a month ago, man. My daughter wanted to hear the Chris Tomlin song, I Need You Every Hour, I Need You, on the way to school. And just to have your daughter, like, singing that song out, like, uh, my one defense, my righteousness, oh, God, how I need you. I'm like, man, God, I need you right now. 
to be worthy of the responsibility of caring for this child and leading her to you. So music, daily gratitude, and daily prayer. I'll only just, you know, offer the, the tiniest of perspectives, and that is as someone a little bit older, um, that, you know, it, it good on you, Jonathan, and also Scott, uh, for coming to these realizations earlier rather than later. Um, because, you know, Jonathan, you may have felt like you were an extremist, uh, you know, with Brit and with your daughter. Um, but let me tell you, uh, it only gets harder when the kids get older. Um, and, and the rifts only grow greater uh, as, as the kids grow up. And uh, so then when you face these things, it's just a monumental undertaking. Um, so, and, and so I'll also speak to our listeners, um, you know, the, those who are not yet married, those who don't even know who they're going to marry or if they're going to get married, um, but also those who are newly married and don't have children, uh, really take these words to, to heart, uh, that, that Jonathan's saying, because, um, work on, you know, working on that relationship, that one-on-one relationship before all of the complications <laughs> of having a family, um, it just will benefit you more than you can possibly know um, uh, later on. And it just, it makes it a, <clears throat> just a lot more, you know, family life is just a lot more fun that way. Um, and, you know, this, this happened for me, you know, I will admit to you, it's, you know, also... 40 ish or, you know, whatever, uh, that, that you are now, uh, Jonathan, that that's kind of when it happened for me. And my son was already, uh, 11, 12. And to then kind of reverse everything, um, we're talking about deconstructing and reconstructing to deconstruct and reconstruct a relationship uh, with that many years and and that sort of thing, not that we had a bad relationship, but we we did not have the relationship like we did after uh, after that. And um, that's it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And and God is gracious uh, through that whole process um, to kind of lead you by the hand. And even though you don't even know where you're going, um, but yeah, I I just commend everyone who's listening. Um, to be a lot more conscientious and conscious <laughs> about your relationships earlier rather than thinking it'll be fine later because <laughs> if you don't pay attention earlier, it's not going to be fine later. The only, the only thing I, I wanted to talk about other than those relationships was that God graciously let me realize that I could write my prayers in I think 2012. I grew up in a church where everyone prayed out loud all the time at the same time. It was cacophonous, it was confusing, and it was ultimately, for me, self-defeating. There was a whole lot of me involved in all that, and I never had a prayer life because I never knew it could be any other way than that. And so when God let me see, oh, I could write out my prayers, that I could be as intimate with God in writing something down as I would as 
if I were writing someone a letter. And that beyond that, so that happened in 2012. And then in 2017, God really worked on my heart about sharing my prayers for others with the people I was praying for in a more systematic way. That was a game changer. And my maturation as a disciple and my prayer life grew as a result. And so those are the only things I would commend. If, if you feel like the only way for you to pray is to get down on your knees and clasp your hands and talk out loud for an hour, God has something more than that for you. Doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that you can type, you can write, and that those are ways of you communicating with God. And of course, the most important thing, the thing I'm still learning is part of praying is shutting up and keeping your mouth closed so God can speak to you through his word, through his spirit. And uh, my commendation with that is once you're writing them down, if you have a prayer, that you have for somebody who's close in your life, share it with them. We hear so often in the church, I'll be praying for you. But people very rarely see or hear that specific prayer. For you to take time out of your day, one person, and send them the prayer that you prayed for them this morning will be a testimony to them of God's love for them. So that's, that's my final commendation. That's excellent counsel, uh, and I can say that on behalf of, I think, Paul and myself, as we have been recipients of your prayers, and, um, and I think that speaks not only to your concern for others, but also the deepening, deepening relationship you have with God to be able to communicate on that level. I think one of the elements of Christianity that people don't realize is that we all are unique creatures and God has gifted us with unique personalities and unique ways to communicate. And just because somebody else uh, prays out loud all at once in a maddening cacophony of sound, as you so aptly described, uh, doesn't mean that's the only way to pray. And so I think as we examine different ways to communicate with God and to listen to him, uh, we find that our relationship becomes so much more intimate and so much more meaningful. What would be maybe a word or two for somebody that hasn't taken an opportunity to write a prayer down? Um, just a practical word or two that you would give them on even structure or medium or um, how to even start. Start. Start with the scripture. So I, I think it's, it's very, very hard to see a blank page and not feel anxiety to see the cursor of death blinking back at you from your open word document. And so don't start with your own words. Start with God's words. Um, whatever you've read that morning, that morning in devotion, pick a verse that is pulling you toward it, write it out, and ask God what he wants you to get from it, and just just start that way. You can thank God for that particular 
verse, which is gratitude, you can engage in adoration where you give God thanks and praise for being the kind of God who, A, spoke to you in a revealed way through his word, or B, testified to something glorious about himself in the words you're looking at. And then it's easy to see the ways in which that verse can call you to repentance, can call you to contrition, and then can move you to to just asking God, I believe this is true. How should I live in light of it? How can I live in the light of the truth that's in this passage? And if you write through that process, it'll be messy. And that's good. It's not, the, the point is not to craft perfect manuscript that you can ship off to heaven and have God print it out and put it on the bookcase of heaven. Yep, there's another keeper from old Circe. The the point is to be intimate with God, to talk, to talk with him, to hear from him. And I, I think starting with scripture and then going from there is probably the best way to do that. That's beautifully said, I think. As a father, when you see your child draw a picture, write a short note, um, whatever, whatever it looks like or whatever it sounds like carries so much more meaning because it came from your child. And I think fatherhood is uh, teaching us those elements as well. And so our good heavenly father responds to our heart toward him. I think it was Andrew Murray or Ian Bounds one who said the best way to learn how to pray is just to pray. And in doing it, we learn. Uh, So I love that. I love what you said. Well, uh, that's been another episode of Moments That Matter. Thank you for tuning in. And thank you, Dr. Jonathan Searcy, for sharing us with us your wisdom and your life skills that we have benefited from. What an awesome opportunity. Thank you, our listeners, for tuning in once again. And we'll see you next time on Moments That Matter. Thanks for listening to Moments That Matter, a podcast that looks at the moments in our lives that come along from time to time that have consequences long after the moment, especially those moments that have to do with the choice of vocation. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, Listening for the Voice of Vocation, Parker Palmer speaks of a clearness committee in the Quaker tradition, wherein a group of older, wiser people ask questions of someone considering a life choice as a way of clarifying the next step. We may not meet with a committee about these big decisions, but we all have these critical junctures in our lives, which we can think of as clearness committee moments. We need to pay attention to these moments because they are profound and potentially life-altering. We'll relay stories from our lives and interview others about theirs, especially noting the clearness committee moments— those we choose to recognize, and those that were sadly ignored, those decisions that were made with God in mind, and those that were not. Our hope is that these podcasts will cause you to think of the same kind of moments in your life with new clarity.